Good morning. Welcome to River Rock Bible Church. We are so excited to have everyone here with us this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, we started a brand new series last week going through the book of Titus. We looked at just the first four verses in this morning. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1, or you can open your phones and find it. Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5. We're going to go all the way through verse 9 this morning. And really, this passage that we're covering, I, I think it couldn't have fallen on a better day. Uh, we're looking at at uh, a passage that I think is going to speak especially to the men. But ladies, don't tune out. Don't tune out because it has plenty for you in there as well. But I think it's especially pertinent to the men because we're talking about leadership. And so often, uh, this is an area where God calls men to step up and to set the pace in leadership. Uh, there's a number of quotes. If you were to search the internet and you were to search for a definition of leadership, you wouldn't come up with 10 or, or 20 or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000, but you would find hundreds of thousands of different definitions of leadership. Many of you will remember the movie A Bug's Life where we get this definition of leadership. Rule of leadership. Everything is your fault. First rule of leadership. Everything is your fault. Well, if that's what leadership means, if, if leadership simply means that everything is your fault, then when you sign up to be a leader, the only thing you're signing up for is to be a punching bag and to receive the blows of the people that you're leading. But when we look at scripture, we understand that God has much more in mind for leadership. In fact, I came across a quote by a German theologian named Albert Schweitzer. I don't agree with much of his theology, but he had a great quote on leadership, and he said this. He says, example is leadership. Example is leadership. And what does he mean by that? He means that when you're a leader, the example that you set is what people are going to follow. And this is a very biblical idea. We understand that that when God looks for a leader, he doesn't look necessarily for competency, but he looks at character. God values character over competency. If you, if you look at many pastors today, the ones that are, are losing their ministry for whatever reason, or they're, they're asked to step down over, over an issue, very few pastors today, very few leaders in the church are asked to step down because of their competency. It's usually because of character. It's usually because of character. And so God is saying, hey, uh, this is so important that you have this character quality. When you look for leaders, this is the kind of character that you're looking for. So let's jump in. Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Now you remember Titus is the man that Paul is writing to, and the Apostle Paul says this, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what, I left, what was left undone as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. Now when Paul is saying this, the, the original language he says, as I, he's, he's using an emphatic, he's saying, as I myself directed you, remember, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the sent one, the, the slave of God that has been sent with a special message, Remember, I directed you to do this. He says, what does he tell him to do? He says, to put in order. To put in order or to set right. And Paul is saying, look, if you're going to put order in the church, if you're going to set things right, where do you start? You start with leadership. You start with leadership. 
Now, here's something that I find very interesting about this, is that Paul is writing this to tell uh, Titus to get some things in order. A little bit of background on the island of Crete. The island of Crete, uh, what we know about Paul is, is we know that he's writing this from Corinth, and most likely, if you were to read through the book of Acts, you wouldn't find that Paul had ever been to Crete. The book of Acts never mentions, uh, it, it counts Paul, all of Paul's missionary journeys, the spread of the gospel through the early church, and it follows Paul, but we never read about Paul going to Crete. And I think this lends some credibility to the idea that Paul was actually imprisoned twice in Rome, and after his first imprisonment, he gets out and he goes and he does some missionary work on this island in the Mediterranean called Crete. Uh, as you can see, the beaches here of Crete, and I've been praying every day this week that when I retire, God would call Amanda and I to be a missionary in Crete um, for, for obvious reasons. But uh, Crete is the fourth largest island in the Mediterranean, and it, it is a beautiful, beautiful place. And it was a famous place in Paul's day because the, the Romans believed that, and the Greeks believed that this was the birthplace of Zeus. So you can imagine how a place like this might have some significant influence from the pagan world. And so what's happened is Paul's been gone. He's away from, from Crete. He leaves Titus there. And notice that he says, I left you here for a purpose. He says, remember, Titus, I left you for a purpose. It wasn't like, oh, this is as far as we can go. Hop out of the boat and stay here on Crete. Now, I know as parents, sometimes, sometimes maybe you forget your kids somewhere. Anybody ever done that? This side note. Everybody say side note. All right. So when I was six years old, my dad was a deacon in the church. He was also one of the minister of music part time. And there was a men's prayer breakfast. And my brother and I got up early and we got dressed and we were going to go with dad. Well, I went back upstairs and I started counting my baseball cards. I don't, I wasn't even looking at the names. I was just counting baseball cards. Dad and my brother leave. Gets time for my mom and my sister to head to church and mom and my sister leave thinking that I am with my dad and my brother. So my mom goes to pick me up from Sunday school, and she says, I'm here to pick up Charlie. And they said, well, Charlie didn't come to Sunday school today. So she goes to my dad and said, didn't you drop Charlie off in Sunday school? Well, dad says, no, I thought he came with you. So I've been at home for about three hours now by myself. By the time my mom gets home, I'm back in my play clothes, out of my church clothes, eating a bowl of cereal, watching cartoons. And I think she's more freaked out, not that she left me alone, but that I was actually okay at six years old and she left me at home. So it's okay. I know what it's like to be left behind, right? I've watched plenty of Oprah. I'm better now. Uh, so I've been healed through that and, and I've worked through my issues. But we all know what it's like to be left behind by accident. But Paul says, no, I left you behind with a purpose to put things in order because the God that we serve is a God of order. God is not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And everything that God touches, he brings order. Whether that's creation or someone's life, whenever God touches something, he brings order. And he says, look, you want to bring order to this church where some paganism has crept, crept in. Some tares have begun growing up in this church that Paul and Titus helped plant. And he says, if we're going to bring order, the first thing we have to do is we've got to put some leadership in place. We've got to put some leadership in place. And look what he says. He says, I want you to appoint elders. Now, that word elders, presbyteros, uh, some people ask, well, is there an age requirement to be an elder? The answer is no. We're never given an age requirement. But there is a little bit in the etymology of the word presbyteros. It means gray-bearded one. Gray-bearded one, right? And so Paul is, is saying, you need to look for some men who have some wisdom, some life wisdom. Well, what is wisdom? 
Wisdom is simply a collection of statements of, well, I'll never do that again, right? Because you can't fix stupid, right? The only thing that fixes stupid is time. And Paul is saying, look, you need some men who have a little bit of life experience. They've got a number of collections of, I'll never do that again, and they've demonstrated some life wisdom. There's no age for that. Some men mature a lot faster than others. And so there's no age limit. Notice what he says, I I left you to a point, is that elders, Okay, is that singular or plural? Plural, right? So Paul is saying, look, this is not the American CEO model of church where you have the, the evangelical pope who's the head and everybody does what he says. No, he says, I left, you, I left you to appoint elders, multiple elders. We have a plurality of elders here at River Rock Bible Church. I'm one of those as a lead pastor, and we have four lay elders that serve on our board. So it's a plurality of elders. It's a group of men in every town. And he says this, one who is blameless, the husband of one wife. Now, before we get into this, we're going to see um, that Paul, in verse 7, he's going to give us kind of an umbrella statement. We're going to skip ahead a little bit to verse 7, and then we'll come back, because he gives us a little bit of an umbrella statement for this whole passage. And he's going to go on and he's going to talk about what an elder is supposed to be, a leader in the church. Remember, we've said that example is leadership. Example is leadership. And I don't want you to tune out this morning. Some of you may be thinking, you know what, I'm never going to be an elder. I don't want to be an elder. Some of you ladies are thinking, well, this is just for the men. This is written for, for men. Uh, so it's not for me. But really, let's think, about, let's think about that idea. Example is leadership. As leaders, we're called to be a model. We're called to be a model. And, and we're not just a model just so everyone can look at, at the elders of this church and say, oh, look, what a good model they are. No, we're a model for a reason. We are called to model the standard that God expects of all his followers. And so we, we set the example. We are a model of all these things that are going to be listed here today in order to call you up into that model. So all these character qualities, all these traits, all these skills that we see, they are written for you. They are expected, they are required of those who are going to be in leadership, but they are also the standard by which all believers are called to live. We model these things. We strive to model these things by the grace of God so that we can call those that God has placed under our charge up to the same standard. So don't tune out. Don't tune out. This is just as much for you to apply to your own life as it is for the leaders here at River Rock Bible Church today. But first, let's look at this umbrella statement. In verse 7, he says, For an overseer, as God's administrator, must be blameless. And we're going to stop right there. Because in these first two statements, Paul is going to give us an action and an attitude. An action and an attitude. The first thing that he says, the action is this, that an elder must be above reproach. Now, some translations say blameless. And, And many people have read this, and they think, well, that means he's supposed to be without fault. And that is impossible. Because if, if perfection were a requirement to be a leader in the church, then there would be no leaders, right? The least qualified, the least perfect person, I can guarantee you, gets up here and preaches every Sunday, right? I, I am far from perfect. And that's not what it means. What it means when it says blameless, it means that his character should be free from a damaged reputation. He's not perfect, but he is progressing. He's not perfect, but he is progressing. I, I like to say we're not perfect but we are being perfected in Christ Jesus. So we're not looking for one who's perfect, but we are looking for a guy who's, whose reputation is so strong with others that, that it's like Teflon, right? Anybody ever cooked with a Teflon pan? Nothing what? Nothing sticks. 
You don't, want a, you don't want a leader in your church that as people throw accusations up, everyone's like, well, yeah, I could believe that about him. Oh, yeah, I could see that he would do that. No, you want a guy who's got a reputation that's like Teflon, that when people hear things about him, they would say, come on, I know that man's character, and that doesn't sound like him. Nothing sticks. He's got a good reputation, a reputation that's free from damage. And, and he goes on. Uh, and he says this, he says that he must also be, let's look at the attitude now. The action is that he must be above reproach. The attitude is this, that he is God's steward, that he is to be an, an overseer as God's administrator. The word that's used there is the word oikos, and it means household manager. How many of you remember going through Dave Ramsey? You guys remember that? We talked about what it means to be a steward, to be a good manager, And when we think about this, we understand that who owns the church? It's God's manager. That we understand we're not following someone who's walking around, this is mine, 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 mine. We're going to do things my way or the highway. If you ever get into a church where the leadership is saying, we're going to do things my way or the highway, you need to run. You need to find a new church. The overseer, the elder, understands that this is God's church that we've been entrusted with. And notice that he's God's administrator. He's not an administrator of the people of the church. Your elders don't serve uh, as administrators of River Rock Bible Church. We serve as administrators of God. We are held accountable to God. We don't answer to the people. We answer to a much, much higher authority. That answer is God. And and sometimes, I don't think it's happened yet, at least not to my knowledge, but there are going to be times when we as an elder board feel God is calling us to do something, and we know that it's not going to be a popular decision. But we will make that decision because we are accountable to God. We're accountable to God. And we expect that as the people of River Rock Bible Church that you would understand that we are accountable to God and that you would remind us regularly, hey, We want to be sure that this church is following God, no matter what. That we're following God. He understands his place is an administrator of God. He's God's administrator, and he's setting the example. I can remember uh, when when I left my last church uh, about four four years ago now, and I I moved to Austin to be part of church planting. People were like, "Well, well, how do you start a church? Do you do you buy a franchise?" And it's like, no, 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 it's, it's not, you know, Chick-fil-A where you go and you, you're, you're an owner-operator. Uh, Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the owner. He has bought and paid for the church in his own precious blood. We are an under-shepherd. I am one of his managers. The elders of this church are simply the managers, and we follow his direction for this church. And so you've got to be on the lookout. You've got to look out for for men who are saying, it's my way or the highway. Don't ever, don't ever let yourself be trapped in a church like that. You need to look for elders who are setting the example in their action and in their attitude. Now, now let's get a little bit into the weeds. Let's take a step back. Let's look back and, and see exactly what this means. So Paul has kind of given this, this umbrella statement that in his action and his attitude that that the elders are supposed to set the example in. And if example is leadership, then what is the example that we're supposed to look for? And the first example that Paul's going to tell us to look for is that the elder must set the example in his home. And he says this, uh, end of verse 5, he says, I left you to appoint elders in every town. And he says, look for this, one who is blameless, one who is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of wildness 
or rebellion. And we're going to stop right there. So all ministry, all ministry starts in the home. All ministry starts in the home. It doesn't matter where you are, what ministry you're involved with. If you don't have a home that's intact, you don't have a ministry. It's something that that I have to remind myself of repeatedly. And as I have opportunity to talk to men who are younger than me that are going into ministry, I, I always remind them that your first place of ministry is in your home. Your first place of ministry is in your home. And that's where we're called to set the example. How many of you like walking through model homes? Anybody? Anybody like walking through model homes? My wife and I, we've been living in our home for about a year, and I can remember walking through that model home, and, uh, you know, you start looking for a house, you're thinking about building, and, and the lady says, hey, come walk through the model home, it's free. And it's like, no, nothing's free, because what's going to happen is we're going to walk through the model home, and then we're going to go home, and we're going to have to remodel our home after what we see in the model home. And I'm going to have to try to figure out how you made this thing in the bedroom out of, out of dental floss and hubcaps that my wife now says the boys need to have in their room. Uh, and and, and that's, that's kind of... Uh, an illustration of, of what elders are supposed to be like. We're supposed to set an example in our home. And, and I often get the question about, you know, you know, I use my marriage a lot as an example. I use Amanda and I as an example, and that's, that's for a reason, because I want us, I'm striving to be a model. And, and I want people to look at us and say, yeah, we need to strive for that. And, and here's, as we go a little bit further, uh, we see that this leadership in the home starts with, with the men. And, and where do you get that from? Well, he says the husband of one wife. Well, the only way to be a husband of one wife is to be a man, right? So it starts with the men, and, and we get this question a lot too. What about women in leadership? And let me say this, absolutely. Absolutely, I believe that there is a place for women in leadership, that God needs strong women to lead well. But there, there are specific roles and places that women are called to, to minister but when it comes to the head of the home, we believe that God has designed that, and we've said this before when we went through First Peter, we believe that God has designed that the man is the, the leader in his household and the woman comes alongside of him. And we believe that in the church, when Paul says that, that an elder must be the husband of one wife, that we believe that the office of elder, pastor, is one that is reserved for men. Now, leadership starts with the men, but it does not end there. It does not stop there. Right? There is women. These same character qualities that are listed here for the elders, you ought to be striving for these just as hard as the men are. Just as hard as the men are. So we see that, that he's the husband of one wife. Well, what does that mean? Husband of one wife. Hmm. Well, I think there's four possibilities for what it means, uh, and we can go through these together quickly. So we know that the man, that the elder, has to be setting an example in his home, and the first thing Paul says, he must be the husband of one wife. Well, it's a very curious statement. What does that mean? And some people have translated this. Our first option is this, that he must be married, that an elder must be married. Well, the problem with that is that it contradicts what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, where he says some of you will have even greater ministry because you're single. And there's an even greater problem with this in that Paul himself could not have been an elder in the church that he planted because he was not married. And in fact, there's an even greater problem with this, that Jesus himself was not married, and so Jesus, by this definition, would not be qualified to be an elder in his own church. Any one of you want to tell him that? 
So obviously it can't be that he must be married. The next, next option is, well, it must mean that an elder can't be a polygamist, right? He can't live with multiple wives and have a show on TLC, right? He can't be a polygamist. Well, the problem with that is this, that in this t- day and time where Paul is writing, polygamy wasn't, wasn't an issue. It wasn't something that they dealt with, and so it would be very odd for Paul to spend time talking about polygamy when it's not really an issue. In fact, if you, if you look at another passage, a very similar passage, in 1 Timothy 5.9, where Paul lays out the qualifications for widows, those who are to be served by the church as widows, he says the reserve, reverse, he says she must be the wife of one husband. She must have had one husband, right? So in, in the term that he uses there, it's the exact same phrase. He just kind of flips it around to, to be about the husband instead of the wife. Um, the thing about that is he wouldn't have had to write that if he were talking about um, polygamy or polyandria would be multiple husbands because the culture that he's writing to, the Jewish culture, uh, this idea of polyandria was abhorrent to them. It wouldn't have even crossed their minds. And so again, it would have been a waste of time. And so from that, we can deduce that, okay, it, it wasn't an issue in that time. Polyandria wasn't something that was, it would, have, it would have been disgusting to them. They wouldn't have even had to deal with that. He's using the same language, the same phrases. So it can't be polygamy. So our third option is this, that he may only marry once. An elder must only have been married once. And again, we have a problem because this doesn't line up with the rest of Scripture. We know from Scripture that there are biblical reasons for divorce. And there are things where God says uh, you, you can be divorced and you can be remarried. Not only that, but what do you do with a man who was married multiple times, perhaps, before coming to know Christ? And now he's in Christ, but he's remarried. What do you do there? Because the issue then is once you come and you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, all things are made new. He's a new creation. And so do we disqualify a man for what his life was like prior to coming to know Christ? The answer is no. The answer is no. So that leaves us with one, uh, one option left. And, and I believe that Paul's language that he uses here is going to help us out. Because the language that he uses here is this. He says that he must be a one-woman man. He must be a one-woman man. And, and what Paul is saying here is that you're looking for a man who has been faithful to his wife, that, that his heartbeat is for his wife, that he is faithful to her. He is faithful to her. Uh, he is a one-woman man. Uh, and as I said earlier, I use my marriage as an example a lot up here. I have a great wife, and I, I can tell you that for the rest of my life, I'm going to be chasing after Amanda. Uh, I, I'm going to be running after her. We are, we are committed. We, we committed before we were married that, that the D word would not be used in our home. We wouldn't even joke about it. We're not going to talk about divorce. It's not an option. And, and we said from the very beginning that, that either I'm going to bury Amanda or she's going to bury me. Now, this past week, there were probably a couple times she wanted to bury me, uh, but we're in it until one of us is in the ground. We're committed. I'm going to be faithful to my wife. And, and here's the thing, you can be a CEO, you can be an owner of a business, you can even be president of the United States and not be faithful in your marriage, but you cannot be a leader in God's church and not be faithful in your marriage. One woman, man, he must be faithful in his marriage. 
Continuing with the home, Paul says this. He says, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of wildness or rebellion. Now again, the the elder is called to be an example, to set a model in his home. And a lot of people read this and, and they see this. In fact, if you're reading in the ESV, some translations say that his children must be believers. The word there that's used is pistis. And there's a, there's a deep theological problem with saying that his children must be believers. Number one, you've got to understand that salvation is a supernatural act of God, not a supernatural work of the parents. And so it's not fair to say that his, his children must be believers because that is beyond any parent's control. And let me, let me say this to some of you here this morning. Some of you are here, you, you did everything you could to raise your children according to God's word, and they have walked away from that. And, and I want you, especially the men that are here this morning on Father's Day, I want you to be free from guilt. If you can honestly say, I pointed my child towards Christ, I've been praying for them, I pray that someday they return, Uh, I did everything I could. I want you to be free from the guilt, knowing that it is not your fault because you do not have the power to save your child. That is only in the power of God that your child can come to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And so it can't be that Paul is expecting that every elder's child be a believer. That, that can't be what he means. And in fact, we, we get a little bit better picture if we look later on in the verse. He says, not accused of wildness and rebellion. What he's saying, if you look in, in Timothy, where he gives the qualifications for an elder, a sister passage, he just says that he's one who manages household well, having his children under control. So, so as an elder, as a leader in the church, this man is supposed to have his children under control. They're respectful. They're respectful. They're not out partying all the time. They're not, they're not wild and rebellious. He's got his family under control. He's teaching them. He's guiding them. He's doing everything he can to bring them up in the way of the Lord. He's setting an example even with his children. Now, unfortunately, a lot of times what happens, and uh, I've experienced this. My, my oldest, uh, the triplets are five, and Evie's two, and I've only experienced a little bit of this, but I'm very quick to call it out. And unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is it's, it's not the pastors. You know, everybody's ever, you've heard of pastors' kids, PKs, and we all know what that means. Uh, and, and I firmly believe that it's usually not because of pressure that's put on by the parents, but it's pressure that they feel from other people to act, behave, and look a certain way. And so anytime I've, I've encountered someone say, oh, well, your kids should know better, they're the pastor kids, uh, I'm very quick to correct that and say, no, 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 they're just kids. Uh, trust me, we're raising them up as best we can. We're pointing them to the Lord. We're, we're, we're very firm in our discipline, but we love them. But they're still just kids. Don't put that on them. Don't put that on them. And so as you encounter other elders' kids, other pastors' kids, whether they're at River Rock Bible Church or another church, uh, I encourage you, don't put any added pressure on them to act, look, or, or be better than other kids just because of what their parents do. Understand that they're just kids. And, and uh, if you have a question, talk to the parents. Talk to the parents about it, and, and please don't ever say, but your dad, uh, that's not fair. That's not fair for them. Um, let's, let's encourage those kids. Uh, back into the sermon, back into the sermon. So uh, can, you have, can, you, can you serve in the church? If your kids are wild and crazy, absolutely you can serve in the church, but you can't be an elder in the church. You can't be a leader in God's church and have a home that's coming apart. 
The next thing Paul says in verse 7, he says, this man must set an example in his character. Must set an example in his character. Let's look at verse 7. He says, for an overseer, well, hold on a second, Paul, you've changed the words. First you were talking about an elder, now you're talking about an overseer. Uh, let's, let's lay something out here for us. There are three words that are used to describe the office of elder. The first is uh, presbyteros. We usually translate that one as elder. The second is episkopos. You usually see that as overseer. Some translations may say bishop. And the third is poimen. Poimen is the, the Greek word for pastor or, or for shepherd. When translated from the Latin, it's where we get our word pastor. So three words used to describe the same office. Well, that's confusing. Well, really, it's not. Daddy, dad, father. Is that confusing? No. Same office, same guy, three titles, right? Daddy, dad, father, same thing. Uh, So here he changes the word to overseer. An overseer as God's administrator must be blameless. He uses that phrase again. Not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully, not greedy, not uh, greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled. Whew! What a list. What a list. How many of you, after reading that list, you're ready to say, hey, sign me up. I can be a leader in God's church. Anybody? Raise your hand. No, you can't. You're arrogant, right? <laughs> you just disqualified yourself. This is, this is a high list to live to. And the first thing, again, he comes back to the character and says he must be blameless. He must be blameless. Uh, and then he goes on. Let's look through these very quickly and just talk about each one of these. He says he must not be arrogant. Again, God is not looking for someone who wakes up in the morning, walks into the bathroom, looks in the mirror, and sings, how great thou art. Right? God is looking for someone who is humble. Nothing stinks up a room more than arrogance. No one wants to be a part of a church where, where the leaders are walking around saying, we're going to do things my way, my way or the highway. That's not what God is looking for in his leaders. The next is not hot-tempered. Not hot-tempered. This is one, uh, James 1.20, uh, God says, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And so the crazy thing about anger is that it kind of sneaks up on you and it just happens out of nowhere. And I think all of us have had those moments where we've lost our temper, but Paul is saying here, if, there, if there's a man who's continually losing his temper, he cannot be a leader in my church. And, and uh let me just speak to, to some of the dads here this morning. I don't, I don't have anybody specific in mind, so, so don't take this personally, but, but I imagine that there might be some here this morning that your families are scared to death of you because the smallest thing sets you off. The smallest thing sets you off. And I want to encourage you that you, you, you might go home and you might reflect on this verse. You might reflect on James 1.20 and think about what it means to be hot-tempered and that you would pray and ask God to help you get that under control. Uh, you, you can be a dad and, and have a, a short fuse, but you can't be a leader in God's church. Uh, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not addicted to wine. Now, here's the thing. If I were to ask you to raise your hands this morning, how many of you know or have been personally affected by someone who has been uh, consumed with alcohol that, it is, that has taken a hold of their life? and it has ruined them in some way, I, I can imagine that every single hand in this room would go up. We know the damage that can happen when we get addicted to wine. And the issue here that Paul says, he says it's not drinking, it's drunkenness. It's not drinking, it's drunkenness. 
And so a leader in God's church must be one who is able to show self-control. He's able to handle uh, not giving in to being controlled by wine. He's not a bully. He's not a bully. But by this, Paul says he's not one who's around either through his words or through his actions bullying other people to where the people that he's leading feel the blows of his words or feel the blows of him physically. He's not a bully, not greedy for money, not greedy for money. Uh, Again, we talked a little bit about the alcohol and how it can control someone's life. Many of us know someone who's been controlled by money in the exact same way. How many of you guys remember Barrett Strong? Uh, You probably know the song better by the Beatles. Give me money. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want, want, want. Let's stand and sing six verses uh, of that. No, we all know that song. You can want money and be, be in business. You can be a lot of things, but you can't be a leader in God's church and be driven by money. Now he's going to switch in verse 8. He's looked at the negative. He's told us what we're not looking for. And now he says in verse 8, he must be hospitable. That word hospitable means lover of strangers. If you're going to be a leader in God's church, well, guess who's going to come to your church? Strangers, hopefully. Hopefully strangers will be showing up at your church, people that you don't know. And and Paul says, you've got to be a lover of strangers. Hospitable doesn't mean you you have to be Martha Stewart with the perfect centerpiece. It just means that you love people. You're willing to welcome them and greet them and be kind to them and be warm and welcoming. He goes on and he says, loving what is good. Loving what is good. And and I thought a lot about this one this week. and, And I thought it's... This one's probably the biggest challenge for most of us because he says, uh, loving what is good. And I think he means that we have to be willing to do good to other peoples. And we have to give what someone needs most when they deserve it the least. Often at great expense to ourselves. We have to give someone the most what they deserve the least. Often at great personal expense. Uh, This is the agape love, the self-sacrificing love. He goes on and he says that he must be sensible. He must be sensible. This means that his life is in balance, that he doesn't swing too far to the extremes, that his life is balanced. He must be righteous, righteous. He must be upright. Notice it says upright, not uptight. So often we get leaders in churches that walk around looking like they sucked on a lemon all day. I'm following Jesus. Come with me. That's not what it means. We want to be upright, not uptight. Some people in here, you're wound so tight. Last night your family said, hey, let's have pancakes for breakfast. We can't have pancakes for dinner. It's dinner time. We can't have pancakes. Chill out. Have a waffle. Right? (laughs) Relax. You don't have to be so uptight. Be upright, not uptight. And he goes on and he says he must be holy. Holy. Everyone say holy. Holy. Set apart. Different. This is a man that when someone looks at him, they say, he's different. He's different. He's holy. Self-controlled. Self-controlled. One theologian says it this way, and I like this. Self-control simply means being Christ-controlled. Being Christ-controlled. Um, I think John, John Wooden, anybody know Coach John Wooden? Uh, he said, discipline yourself so that others won't have to. Discipline yourself so that others won't have to. And I think that comes back to being Christ-controlled. The last thing Paul wants us to see is this. 
that an elder, a leader in God's church, must set the example in his doctrine. Must set the example in his doctrine. Verse 9, holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. The very first qualification you ought to look when any leader comes before you or you go to another church and you begin looking for a church, the very first question you want to ask is how does this leader handle the word of God? When I have an issue, when I have a question, when I have a problem, where is the first place he looks? Is the first thing that he points me to the word of God? You want men in your life who are going to point you to the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 is a great verse. That I would be a workman, be diligent to present yourselves, approve to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. NIV says correctly handling the word of truth. Correctly handling the word of truth. Uh, My prayer is that, that... Wherever you go to church, that you would find a church where they're correctly handling the truth. And some people read this and they think, well, well this means that, that the elder has to be a teacher, uh, a preacher. And not every elder is going to be a preacher. Not every elder can get up here and, and deliver a, a 30, 45-minute sermon. But every elder should be a teacher in the sense that, that the elder ought to be able to come alongside of you and say, hey, I see you're about to do this. Let me show you. Let me show you what the Word of God says about that. Look at this verse right here. It speaks directly to what you're about to do. Now, how does that, what you're about to do, square up with the Word of God? And you stop and you say, well, well, how did you know that? Well, because I I studied the Bible. I try to live my life by it. And I just want to warn you from the Word of God that, that if you do this, this is what God's Word says. That's what it means to be a teacher, that you would come alongside someone and teach them from the Word of God. And he gives us a a reason. Um, He says that he must be able to refute those that contradict it. In Acts 15, Paul warns that there will be wolves that come up um, among the church. And I ran across this mural. It's painted in uh, somewhere in L.A., and I love this picture. I think this is a beautiful picture of what, what elders and pastors are called to be. They're going to be wolves who are biting, seeking to, to pick off the sheep. As an elder, as a leader in God's church, we have to be prepared to defend the sheep from those wolves. And the way that we do that is by rightly handling the word of God. Rightly handling the word of God. If I were to ask for one thing this morning, I would ask that you pray for the elders here at River Rock Bible Church. Um, many of you guys remember Kermit the Frog. He says, it's not easy being green. Well, it's not easy being a leader in God's church. And so I'd ask that you would pray for your leaders, that God would give us wisdom, uh, that, that he would um, give us the strength to be a good model, to be setting a good example for the people of River Rock Bible Church. And, and, and I don't say this lightly, again, that, that this standard that we see here in this passage is a standard that you ought to expect from your elders. That you ought to be challenging us to strive towards this every single day. Because, again, we don't model this just for our own goodness, just for our own sake. We're modeling this so that we can call you to this. That we can come alongside of you and walk with you as you pursue this. And I know some of you here this morning, you're thinking, I could never live up to that. I could never live up to that. And let me tell you, You're absolutely right. In our own power, we can never live up to that. But by the grace of God, 
we can chase after this standard together. We can join together, encourage one another, walk alongside one another, and we can strive for this standard, and we can set an example for our families, for the people that we work with, for our neighbors, for the people around us. We can set the example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This morning is Father's Day, and and I want to do something um, a little bit different. We don't normally do this, but I'm going to ask for the men in the room to just stand. Uh, this is, as we saw, that, that God starts, we said leadership starts with the men, and that's not to, to speak ill of the women at all. Um, but men, I just want to spend some time in prayer specifically for you. That as you look at these verses, that this would be something that you would strive toward, and you would strive to lead your families towards this. If there's a man around you, if you're here, um, if you would just put your hand on, on a man that's around you and join me in praying for this man, that, that God would uh, give him the wisdom and the strength and the courage to pursue this model that we have laid out for us here. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we lift up the men in this room. God, we look at this list, we look at the, the requirements for leadership, and we fully understand that not a single one of us is capable of meeting all these requirements in our own strength and our own power. Lord, our prayer this morning for the men in this room is that we would rely on the strength and the power of your son, Jesus Christ, knowing that through faith in him, when you look at us, you see one who is blameless because of your son, Jesus Christ, who already took the penalty for our sins upon himself. You see one who is holy. You see who, one who is righteous, not on our own, but because of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, I ask that you would give us wisdom to rely on your word every single day. That as we make decisions in our work and in our families, that we would ask, what does the word of God say about this and what would God have me do? Or that you would empower us in those moments to be obedient to your word. Father, we pray for the elders of River Rock Bible Church, the current elders and the future elders, that we we would continually be men who strive for this standard and strive to call others to this standard. Our desire, Lord, is that that we would be pursuing you until we all attain maturity in Christ Jesus. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.